This is Elizabeth Finch. And this is Kate Barno. We're writers for No Ordinary Family on ABC. And you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. I'm Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, Episode 9, for Tuesday, January 18th, 2011. I'm so excited that today I have an interview with not one, but two women TV writers, Elizabeth Finch and Kate Barno, who write for No Ordinary Family and used to write for True Blood. Those are two very different shows, and they have a very, very cool story to share. I'm sure you're going to love it. Now, I do want to mention, unfortunately, I've done about... Mm, 80 or 90 inter interviews in the last few years, and this was the very first time that I had technical issues with Skype, and so we were a little bit late starting the interview, which meant that our interview was cut a little bit short. I am sorry to say that I didn't have time for fan questions, so I know I asked for those on Twitter and didn't have a chance to, to uh, ask them. Hopefully, we'll be able to get more No Ordinary Family writers soon, and we'll be able to ask those questions then, but uh, I do want to remind you that this is a video podcast so there is picture that goes with the sound if you're getting this off of the script magazine uh, audio version you can actually access a video version on itunes as well look for tv writer podcast through itunes you can do that search or you can just go to tvwriterpodcast.com and there's a link to get to the video version at itunes or you can actually watch it online you can go to tv writerpodcast.com and just click on the episodes and you can watch a video version online or you can watch it at the scriptmag.com website. As I mention every time, uh, you can follow me on Twitter for the latest updates and usually there's a chance to get your questions answered. And so the best way to find out about the interviews that are coming, just follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle. And you can always go to tvwriterpodcast.com to find out back episodes. We've done nine so far and there's been some great interviews with showrunners with writers of all different types and there's lots more coming uh, in the upcoming weeks we're going to be having more interviews with women tv writers and after that some canadian writers so you're going to love what we have coming but first of all elizabeth finch and kate barno writers for no ordinary family on abc enjoy so this is gray and I'm here with Elizabeth Finch and Kate Barno, writers on No Ordinary Family. How are you guys doing? Good, thanks. Really? How are you? I'm doing really well, thank you. And I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're still in the thick of things. What what episode are you writing right now? Uh, we are currently writing episode 18 and breaking episode 19. Wow. Wow. Well, it's it's been a great season so far. And uh, what Ali Adler said is that it gets even better with every episode that comes. So super, super looking forward to it. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's going to be a fun ride up until the end. Yeah. So uh, I know that we don't have a lot of time and we have both of you guys to talk about. So we'll get right to it. And uh, the first thing that everybody loves to hear is how you got started. And uh, so we'll start with Kate. Um, Kate, it's reported that you started out as an assistant to the executive producers on Will and Grace. But what came before that? I think I, I, I grew up always knowing that I wanted to write in, in some capacity. I wasn't sure um, which form it was going to take. I grew up in LA and I sort of had a little bit of a cynicism about writing for Hollywood and mm. there were plenty of cautionary tales um, growing up, but there's also, you know, tremendous um, sense of what a creative life it could be. And, 
And so despite the cautionary tales, I decided to um, take my chance at it. I didn't know I wanted to do TV per se until probably a few years after I graduated college. Um, my brother was a comedy writer at the time, and I was getting a sense of what TV looked like. I thought maybe I'd be more interested in writing features just because um, I fancied myself a sort of history major who could get deeper into stuff and and sort of explore time periods more intricately than if I was writing on a TV show. So I set about to write a totally uncommercial, almost undoable movie, which was um, uh, adapting a thousand-page book into wow. a film that was based in 14th century England. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And when I started, I realized I was going to need um, a serious uh, a job to back me up because I couldn't, I wasn't going to pull that one out in like three months. So um, what I decided to do was get a job as an assistant to an executive producer um, because oftentimes uh, producers on shows with their development deals are given an assistant, but there's not necessarily a lot of work to be done. And um, a lot of... Uh, Great sort of mentory writers, executive producers will will hire assistants that want to be writers and encourage them during their downtime to write. So I found um, such a guy at Will and Grace, and it was um, a pretty funny combination because as I was writing my Middle English and and reading back to myself, I, my lord, everyone else around me was sort of cracking gay jokes, and uh, <laughs> it was it was a really really silly sort of thing to watch, but I. I realized after doing the movie, it took me probably about two years from start to finish. I was wow. like, I don't think I'm cut out for this <laughs> this whole thing. I really, I thought that the, the speed of television and the camaraderie of working in a group um, would sort of fit my personality better. And um, as much as I loved um, the world of sitcoms, I didn't think I was sort of built the way a lot of the um, sitcom writers are, which is that they just sort of come out of the womb telling jokes. They live mm. to make people laugh. And I was not that way. So um, I thought maybe I'll try my hand at dramatic writing. So I took some time off. I wrote my first drama spec. I realized it was going to take a, probably a bit more time um, than I had initially thought just because um, it was a time when a lot of the comedies were dropping off and the drama world was really saturated. So mm. I figured the best way was to sort of get a job on a drama as a writer's assistant or a script coordinator and sort of work that direction and then also work the direction of, you know, continuing to write on my own. Mm -hmm. And so then you did work as a script co coordinator on Studio 60. Um, now, maybe you can explain for the audience a little bit about how is that um, different than just being a writing assistant? Script coordinator is a really um, clerical, very sort of skilled set. Like the script coordinator puts out all the various drafts of the scripts that come in. And during production of a drama, especially one that's doing 22 episodes a season, um, it's a bit fast and furious. You have scripts coming out and different revisions coming out all the time. And so what the script coordinator does is um, basically is in charge of continuity, editing the scripts, making sure there aren't typos, making sure that the uh, slug lines, you know, reflect the actual sets you're supposed to be on. Um, you uh, make sure that the pages match up, which is usually much harder than any any other part of the job. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you make sure the different department heads in the show know what the changes that are coming up are so they can prepare. If, you know, you know that there's going to be a location change, you let locations know. If you know that there's going to be a set change, you let um, the art director know so that everyone can sort of prep uh, before the script actually comes out because as the season goes on, it usually becomes sort of more and more last minute that the, the script comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a crazy job. You can be overwhelmed, but it's also very exciting because you get to sort of uh, read the read the scripts first, know what's going on in the world of the show before anyone else, and then mm-hmm. um, you get to really interact with all the different um, people on a show so you learn what, what really goes into making an, a television show. Very, very cool. And and so how did you get the, the job on True Blood? Um, as a script coordinator, I had been uh, a script coordinator on another show on Lifetime that it was a very funny schedule. I was ending in like November mm-hmm. and didn't know where I was going to find another show that was starting up that would be looking for a script coordinator. So I had a friend who belonged to some woman's website. What was it called, Cinch? I always forget. Next Gen Femmes. Next Gen Femmes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the listeners out there that want to go to Next Gen Femmes. Um, so my friend posted on that board that my friend is looking for um, a job as a script coordinator. And I think I knew that True Blood was just starting up. And so my friend said, does anyone know um, anyone connected with True Blood? And as it turned out, one of Elizabeth's friends read the board and got in touch with Elizabeth. So um, I didn't know Elizabeth at that time at all. So mm-hmm. purely by chance, um, Elizabeth got my resume to Alan Ball and uh his right-hand gal, Christina, and um, after the interview process, um, I was lucky enough to get the job. Wow. Very, very cool. So um, now it was after that, I guess, or through this experience that, that you met. Um, so before getting to Elizabeth, I guess we should get to her backstory, and then we'll meet up at this point, and after that you can you can work together on the rest of the story. Great. Um, so Elizabeth, now, um, you got your BA in creative writing and drama at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Yes, it is. But you grew up in Jersey? I am a full-bred South Jersey girl. There's no denying it. Uh-huh. And so uh, I explain how that happened. At what point did you get the writing bug? It's going to sound unbelievably dorky, but uh-huh. I am. Um, my fifth grade writing teacher, Mrs. Feinberg, got some crazy grant and had a playwright come in in fifth grade and teach us what scenes were. Uh-huh. Um, I don't even remember the playwright's name. I'm so terrible about it. Um, but he was a silly playwright and he came and taught us what scenes were and whoever wrote like the best scenes would get performed cafeteria stage. And people's parents could come. And I wrote some terrible three-page scene. I think it was called The Operation. Mm-hmm. About somebody getting an operation and being scared of it. I I, I would die to fight right now. Um, uh-huh. But I wrote that and was like, oh, I think I want to do this a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just kept um, not paying attention in math class and writing little scenes and writing plays. And um, I knew when I went to college that I wanted to go for playwriting and most playwriting programs. They, there aren't very many or weren't when I tried undergrad mm-hmm. playwriting. So you had to, there were a lot of grad programs, but you had to sort of concoct your own thing. And uh, Carnegie Mellon allowed me to do sort of a mishmash of those disciplines to sort of create a de facto playwriting degree. Mm-hmm. And so you wrote several plays th- then after that? Yeah. Or, or was it sort of through and during that experience? 
Well, I, I lucked out. I went to a high school in Jersey that had a really crazy drama department, and you mm-hmm. could, at the end of every year, they did student, written, acted, directed, one act. Wow. And I just did it every year and just absolutely fell in love with it. So I did a bunch in high, like, you know, I'm sure they're incredibly uh, detailed and nuanced, <laughs> as 15-year-olds can be. Um, and just kept doing it so and then i did a bunch in college and you know the rest mm-hmm. is history very cool now by the time you got to the mfa stage you were already in screen and tv writing so at what point did you decide that you wanted to go in that direction well i went to grad school at sc for playwriting oh it was playwriting okay but i switched over because as i was there and working with the professors and the other students, a lot of the tools that they were imparting were things that I had already received during undergrad and wanted to do, I still wanted to do writing, but wanted something a little different, a little broader. And I also realized you cannot make a living as a playwright unless, <laughs> uh, no, actually you can't. Um, so uh-huh. I took a couple film classes in that first year, fell in love with it, and my TV classes felt so similar in process to playwriting that I thought like, wow, this feels home in the same kind of way. So I just kept at it that way. And so I switched over degrees um, to do my MFA in screen and TV. Mm-hmm. And you won the 2004 Television Academy Arts and Sciences Scriptwriting Internship. Yeah. So tell me about that. It's a fantastic program that the uh, Emmys Academy sets up because mm-hmm. uh basically fostered by people who have been through the program themselves. For example, Brandon Braga, who went all the way from intern at Star Trek all the way up to running Star Trek, always takes on or did take on interns to follow that. So you're not doing the intern getting coffee run version of it. I On day one, I was in the writer's room being de facto writer's assistant. So I wow. got experience and in every production meeting that they had for Enterprise, and it's something that I never would have, or I would have had to have spent quite a bit of time working up as a P- intern and PA and getting to have that experience. So it was pretty fantastic. And it just, the Academy sponsors that you get a pretty great stipend. Um, and then the relationship that you get to have with the other interns who are doing all different types of programs within television from reality TV to documentary TV to you know, all aspects of production and writing was pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so how did that lead to your your next gig? Or I guess this would be your first real TV-related um, gig after that. Was it was it working for uh, Rick Cleveland? Yeah, I worked, at, I worked for a production company for a little while in development and then realized that I didn't want to be doing that. And my boss was completely generous and knew I wanted to be in TV and just kept her ears open and heard that Rick uh, was leaving after Six Feet Under had wrapped and got a deal with NBC and needed an assistant. And that's basically how I got the gig. Mm-hmm. You were with Rick for a while? Uh, for about three years. Mm-hmm. You wrote a short film in that time too, right? Uh, yeah, we did. I did that actually as part of uh, when I was in grad school. They had a program for the producers program that they would select four short scripts and give them full range and a whole big chunk of money to do what it is they would like to do. So we, I partnered up with uh, Nathaniel McCullough, who was mm-hmm. in the production support in the Stark program, 
and he had this idea for a film, and I worked with him and developed it with him, and then we got to shoot it, which was pretty fantastic, but, um, yeah. And so, at what point did you break into True Blood? Uh, well, Rick, you know, had pretty great relationships with um, both Alan and Christina, um, as Kate mentioned, his, mm-hmm. Alan's right hand down, and... Uh, basically floated it out there because I was leaving, Rick was leaving Universal or NBC Universal and just, you know, poked his head in and asked if they were looking for anybody because they knew that True Blood was coming up. So I, this was before they even shot the pilot. They brought a bunch of the writers in to mm-hmm. just look at the, at the season in scope and brought me in for a couple weeks to do that. And then just sort of waited around for them to shoot the pilot and pick up the pilot. And then I, you know, was right there when that started up very cool so um now the tag team can begin um because you <laughs> met each other through this process and, and so um uh, one was working as a script coordinator the other as a as an assistant um d- did you already talk at that point about writing together or what at what point did that happen um we we hadn't actually we had become good friends and we were sort of you know working on our own material individually and I think what got everything started was Alan Ball offered us the opportunity to write the content for the extra added bonus features of the Blu-ray Season 1 DVD. Oh, okay. And um, it's sort of one of those great perks that you get every now and then um, as an assistant. And Elizabeth and I, I think, had like a week to write like 100 pages of, of dialogue. And we we sat down, we did, we sort of split it up and we did our own stuff. And when we put it together, we found that our styles were really well suited. And we, we kind of loved each other's stuff and we, you know, just sort of put that in the back of our head. But I don't think thought anything more of it. I don't think we thought there was going to be an opportunity to write on True Blood. It was a very new show. And um, usually, you know, if they promote assistance, it doesn't happen until a little later on into mm-hmm. the tenure of a show. But a couple of the writers actually approached us at the beginning of season two and suggested that we approach Alan and ask him for a freelance script. And I don't know how we managed to work up the confidence or balls <laughs> to do it, but um, but we did. We sort of, you know, pep talked to each other, and um, we we realized that it'd probably be easier to ask for a shared script rather than asking, you know, there are only 12 episodes in a mm. season um, for asking for a script individually for each of us. And Alan was kind enough to say, why don't you guys write a spec script of True Blood? I can take a look at that, see what it looks like. And, you know, if it doesn't end up working out on the show, you'll have a really, you know, good sample. Mm -hmm. So we wrote the spec together. We sat down. We broke a story, uh, sort of a a make-believe story that would happen in the make-believe season three of Mm -hmm. True Blood and uh, we sat down, we banged it out, and again, we just had this sort of good chemistry. Alan um, obviously really responded to it and gave us our first script. Great. And so you ended up writing three scripts together. Were they all freelance, or did you get on staff at one point? They were all freelance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We um, actually continued to do our jobs as script coordinator and writer's assistant while um, sort of sitting in the writer's room, um, getting to experience that whole thing, writing uh, the scripts and getting the opportunity to produce the scripts on the set. Um, so we were sort of living these crazy double lives. Um, wow. 
And it was it was fast and furious and wild, but tremendous fun. And of course, you know, one of the most incredible experiences. Yeah. We'll be lucky to ever sort of have something that special again. Special. So it's pretty great. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear more about the room, but I think we have to move on a little bit um, because you also did the True Blood comic book. Uh, tell me more about that. That was um, that was another uh, one of those fabulous things that kind of came along. You know, when True Blood started to blow up, the opportunities for different different outlets were just plentiful. And um, Alan asked if we'd be interested in coming up with some uh, storylines. And the idea with the comic book was that it wouldn't in any way take place within our current world of True Blood. So the idea was to sort of work with our characters that come up with storylines that wouldn't in any way cross over with storylines we were dealing with on the TV show. Mm-hmm. And the guys so at IDW are, are, are absolutely, you know, total rock stars and superstars and had their own really fantastic ideas. And it was a lot of the work that we did was just knowing this, that crazy world inside mm-hmm. and out. True Blood had so many lore, pieces of lore about what existed from the books and what existed from Alan and the writer's brains, and we knew what was coming down the pike, what rules existed that weren't even spoken. So it was a lot of fishing through that and, and being able to articulate that and help them create such a really great, rich story with Alan as well. Well, it, it must have really helped having one uh, a script co- coordinator reading everything and then and then the other one assisting and being in the room and, and hearing everything going on there. It's kind of a dynamic duel. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um... <laughs> It was because the uh, the IDW guys were such huge fans of the show, and their brains work in sort of these magical ways that our brains were not equipped to do. Um, the comic book world is um, so different than anything we had, we had been exposed to, and so to sort of be able to give the um, everything we learned through osmosis uh, to them and see what you know they kind of turned out was was really cool. Very very cool. And now on to No Ordinary Family, which um, on paper seems like a 100% reversal story-wise from True Blood. Uh, how did that happen? You know, it's funny because at, at the time, it really seemed like almost insanely similar. You have yeah. supernatural or, you know, super-powered people mm-hmm. grounded in a real world trying to deal with the uh, the day-to-day issues of having superpowers Mm -hmm. and so in a way we almost felt like gosh we should really look for something that would like branches out more (laughs) (laughs) um but as it turned out you know the the difference between um working in network television and and working um in cable television it was a vast difference and so it's been a tremendous experience in terms of we had so much freedom on True Blood and what you end up doing with that freedom is just kind of going for the most outlandish thing. And so we were so used to swearing, nudity, anything we thought of basically was good to go. And then of course you come to an eight o'clock show on ABC and all that stuff instantly goes out the window. So we felt, I felt a little, um, hamstrung at the beginning. I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this without profanity. I mean, I literally don't know how to do this. So, um, there's a bit of a learning curve there, but then of course there are all these other benefits that come along with, um, network television. You get to tell, um, lighter stories. You get to explore more sort of family friendly storylines. And we got to explore new superpowers, new metaphors for the superpowers, which ultimately is, you know, what I think it all kind of comes down to. 
So it's been it's been a good sort of uh, crossbreeding between the two two shows. Very very cool. You know, and in both of these shows, that you have these smart, interesting, like bizarrely funny characters. And no matter what world network or HBO kind of cable world, it's still fantastic to just be able to work with those types of characters and be able to see where they go in these really nutty, off-kilter worlds. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about how the rooms are different and, and the writing process. Well, there's, well, I mean, there's the actual, you know, pragmatics of in in True Bloodland, we did, you know, we had breaking, when we broke story, we had beat sheets and outlines, but they weren't vetted through network. They weren't going through that process. So it was a little more insular, it was a little more free in that capacity. So making that switch over to network and both Kate and myself have been, have worked on network shows. So we, that wasn't completely new to us, but as writers, it was mm-hmm. a different experience that we were used to. So in that regard, there was a few more, I wouldn't say hoops, but just a little, just a few more steps in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the sheer volume, I mean, you know, there's nothing quite like the pace of, um, of writing 22 episodes. And, um, in some ways, True Blood has it has a more grueling um, production schedule because um, there are mostly you're just shooting at night, which you know is its own sort of weird reality. But also um, lots of blood and prosthetics and special effects and um, things that are practical that you have to do um, in the moment. Um, you know, in cold weather in a at a ranch in Calabasas, um, the production schedule on The Ordinary Family is not quite as long. You don't have as many days to shoot an episode, and a lot of the effects happen in post, but the uh, volume of writing is actually more. Mm-hmm. So um, they're, they're both sort of uh, grueling and exciting in, in different ways. Ultimately, I'm trying to think of what I was more rested on. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to say. It's really, it's really hard to say. Um, one was more, I feel like one is brain, like brain, at any given time, it's like, am I gut exhausted? Am I brain exhausted? Do I, am I wearing seven, one thing you're wearing seven parkas, the other you're, you know, thinking of seven stories at the same time. It's, That's exactly right. It's a lot, it's a lot of juggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I know we're a little constrained for time here. Um, unfortunately, we won't get to the fan questions, but uh, this is part of our Women TV Writer series, and I would love to hear from each of you. Um, what would your advice be to a, a young woman who is considering, or maybe not even a young woman, but just a woman who is considering a career in TV writing based on your experience? I just keep thinking of Kate. You know, Kate wrote this feature uh that she called, I believe your words were unproducible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that the, she wrote something that she loved growing up, that she loved as an adult, that she felt connected to and excited about. And I had a similar experience writing a play that people who have read it had said, well, well, that's unproducible, but we like the voice. Mm-hmm. So in both cases, I feel like, they're examples of, you know, two women who wrote exactly what they felt in their guts and their brains and their hearts, and it translated. It was palpable. It got people excited about it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, as, and this may be true for all writers, but I feel like especially for women who 
I think it's not unfair to say we're largely on instinct and guts and or have that as such a great commodity to go with it, to run with it, to not worry about down the line you can worry about the commercial and the dancing that you have to do to make something work. But when you're trying to get out there to do whatever you feel the most excited about because it really is palpable. It really does translate and that's I think what you really want starting out is to people to see and hear you for what you have to offer versus any other person mm-hmm. and and in your experience and i've heard a lot of showrunners say this um if you're most passionate about a play then do that right because yeah. people will read I mean, plays that's the i think this is it's an exciting time with television that people it used to be you needed there was a little more formulaic of if you wanted to break in you needed a spec and you needed like a TV spec of an existing show, and then you needed an original pilot. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a little more, and there's times where that is true, but I think a lot of showrunners now are open to, we want to read a spec so we know you understand the medium, but we also want a piece that just shows your voice. Mm-hmm. And we don't care if it's a five-page essay on Fresh Yarn or an online essay place or or if it's a feature or if it's a play. It's just show your voice. And I think that... You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of playwrights and novelists and essayists that are breaking into TV because their, their original piece just, just sparkles Mm. for lack of, um, you know, more refined word than that. I don't think you can go wrong when you actually really care about something because it shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's a really tremendous advice. And I think that it's easy to lose sight of the, the process of breaking in is, is very, um, very different for everybody. And it took, me years and I there were years in there where I thought you know how is this going to change how is this going to break um I've been doing everything I've been told to do and I just felt like I was sort of treading water and um and this sort of amazing experience happened and I think following I mean I think Elizabeth and I both sort of sought out True Blood because it was being written by someone who who we felt very connected to his work I think following um, the voices that you care about, um, trying to sort of uh, stay true to what excites you are as important as sort of also just hanging in there and um, knowing that eventually you probably will get a break. It it really can be frustrating to see certain people, you know, hop off the bus from wherever and get, mm-hmm. and get a writing gig when other people take, you know, 10 years to do it. But a certain amount of tenacity and a certain amount of passion, and you know, it usually works out. Great. Another thing that I really think, if I could spread to all women writers, is, you know, use each other, lean on each other. Girls are each other's best friends in this business. Very well said. It's an important thing. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we'll end it there. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And sorry, we have that uh, technical challenge in the beginning, and, and we're a little bit delayed. But uh, I know I'm sure that people will be very inspired, and in particularly, I hope that that young women can see here's a, a couple of great women writers working on a great show. So thanks, well, thanks so, much, so much. Okay. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that was my interview with Elizabeth Finch and Kate Barno, writers for No Ordinary Family and also True Blood. I hope you enjoyed it, and make sure to check back with us. We are going to have more interviews with women writers in the coming weeks. So, tvwriterpodcast.com. For the latest, you can come to my Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle, and always go to scriptmag.com. 
for the latest of all kinds of script-related news. And please make sure you have a subscription to Script Magazine. It's a tremendous value. Um, you'll get a lot out of that, too. So until next time, this is Gray Jones. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. Uh-huh.